everyone, and welcome to episode 119 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. This is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net. Join us this week as we speed over land to Catalina to see how the new Mac cards are assembled. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm looking forward to the trip to Catalina. Yeah, it, you know, you would think it would be, it's kind of like a real-life trip to Catalina. It sounds nice, but it... It's kind of a day trip. There's not the most going on. You know, it's not this big, long, oh, I'm going to spend a week there. And it's similar to macOS Catalina. There's a few features to go over, but it's not this big laundry list or really in-depth things you can, oh, I have the new version of Mac and I can do this, this, and this. It's tough to describe. Yeah, actually, when I was looking over the list right after I finished installing it, they bring up this list of 15 things. And even the 15 things weren't all that impressive. And I forgot about half of these were even going to be in this. So, yeah, it was kind of underwhelming. And so let me describe just how big of an update this is. Apple essentially removed iTunes and split it into three different apps and are claiming there's now three new apps for the Mac. No, they just stripped out. So Apple Music is available as a standalone app. Apple Podcast is a standalone app. And there's the new Apple TV app available on Mac, which is essentially the videos section of iTunes. So that's a big, huge feature set right there. Right. And they basically moved your ability now. You sync all right through Finder and you do like your backups and uh, sync in music, videos, whatever. You do it all through Finder. You just plug in your, your device to your Mac and then you do it all through there instead of going to iTunes. And then not only is the new Apple TV app available, but now... Apple Arcade's available on the Mac, too. So if you were enjoying Apple Arcade, we've spotlighted some games so far. You can now play them on your Mac, not just your iPhone and your iPad. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I don't tend to play a lot of games on my Mac, only because as soon as I do, I have the 13-inch iPad Pro mid-2015, I want to say it was. And as soon as I start any kind of game up, that fan starts cranking like crazy. Because uh, it does not have the separate uh, video card in the 13-inch. So uh, it, it kind of gets a little taxed when you start to play games. I know, which is sad when you think that the iPad has no problem. It's fanless and <laughs> it's I know, running the yeah, same exact game. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. I mean, it, you would think there'd be a better way at this point, but it is what it is. Yep. And also, Apple did some great work on updating notes and reminders and stuff like that for iOS. So guess what? They're like, let's bring those changes over to the Mac. And this feature set, it's just getting better and better. And I believe they're literally the same app, aren't they? They just yeah. they use that's that, that new tool new, to bring it over. Yeah, they're making all their apps be universal across Mac and iOS. Yeah, the one that we haven't got ported over yet is Twitter, I believe, is working. They're going to use that same functionality to bring their Twitter to actually bring a native app back to the Mac because it used to be there, and then I think it disappeared. And I still haven't installed the old version, but I guess they're going to have a new version that uses that same thing to basically bring the iOS app over to the Mac, but that's still forthcoming. And, I mean... Really, it's not that big of changes as you go through the list. You talk about they screen time is now on the Mac, so if you've been enjoying that on iOS devices, you have that ability, including communication limits as well as time limits of using various apps. Yeah, I don't foresee. I'm the only one using my Mac, so I don't really need it for my kids. So that's kind of a non-starter. I don't really use it, but 
I guess it's nice to have if you have kids using Macs. One neat feature is that Apple has taken the app Duet display and made it system wide with Mac. So it, they call it Sidecar, but it's essentially turn your iPad into a separate display. And I haven't been able to get it to work. I haven't experimented much, but it it's not that valuable for me. I don't need the iPad as a second display. I'd rather use the iPad as a completely different research device or usability device while I'm working on my Mac. But if you do like that, the only way I've been able to enable it is by connecting a cable directly between the two. I haven't been able to do it wirelessly over Bluetooth yet. And I, I'm not sure exactly what the problem, but there's not the most support out there for getting this feature up and running. And I have a 2018 MacBook Pro and the 2018 iPad Pro, so I don't think it's a device limitation. I just don't understand what the problem is. Yeah, so I was kind of excited for this only because it's nice if you're, say you're traveling, and I have the 13-inch, like I just said, the MacBook Pro. If I were to get the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, it would be awesome to have those two displays because I tend to use two monitors at work. I always have two screens going. It's nice if you're trying to do work remotely and have that second screen. And yeah, your iPad comes really dumb. It's just basically used as a monitor, but it's a nice to have. The big problem was it's not supported on anything older than a 2016 MacBook Pro. I, and there's, I forget what model it cuts off on the, on the desktops, but as far as MacBook Pros, you need to have one with at least the Skylake processor in there. So I can't even use this even if I wanted to. And I don't know where the cutoff is on iPads, if you need the 2018 or newer uh, iPad Pro, or if it's any iPads. I don't know. It, it's kind of weird that they even have these limitations, seeing as Duet Display has done this for years on much older hardware. And so I don't understand why Apple couldn't have figured out a way to make it work with older uh, hardware, except to maybe sell newer hardware. but. Then again, they never made this clear when they announced this feature was coming. They just made it sound like you'd be able to do this if you installed Catalina. You would think everyone that installed it, any devices that support it, should have supported this feature as well. But there's huge limitations. It really is. And they, they haven't updated their online compatibility for Sidecar specifically yet. Because it ties into their whole continuity suite, which is where... You're using one app and it's like handoff. You can I'm using messages on my phone and now I can resume the conversation on my Mac, something like that. And it seems like this sidecar display system doesn't even work with the same devices that handoff does. So it's even a different subset than that. It's really weird. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of odd. And then this may be the greatest feature Apple's ever offered. Approve with Apple Watch. Double-click the side button on your Apple Watch to authenticate on your Mac. Could you imagine something stupider? Who at Apple was sitting around and being like, you know when you're typing on your keyboard and you want to just like sign in or confirm a purchase? Imagine if instead of just using the Touch ID on your Mac that we put in for a few generations now or just clicking yes with the touchpad on your Mac, what if you lifted your hands completely so that way you could double tap the side of your watch. That is a great idea. I mean, how do you not fire somebody <laughs> who even comes up with that idea and then you put it in macOS and then you list it as one of the features on your web page? No, is it only because you would then not have to type in a password? I mean, I don't understand. 
what the point of it is. Well, your it, password, I mean, it's like confirming when Safari's like, you have a password, would you like to save it? And you can just press enter. No, they want you to lift up and double tap on your watch. Yeah, that makes no sense. Yeah, it's viewing your passwords and Safari preferences and unlocking various locked notes or improving app installations, all those kind of things where you can just press the enter key. Now I'm going to double tap my watch. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. And what are you like sitting that far back from your keyboard that you're that lazy you can't lean over and hit <laughs> enter? I, yeah, it does makes no sense to me. I mean, the real huge update that's really game-changing for OS Catalina is a feature that many people are probably not going to use. And Apple's gone above and beyond to improve accessibility and offer all these great voice controls and hover over text for Zoom display. All these ideas to help people who have various disabilities and can't use a Mac like like you just normally would. So they made sure to make it as accessible as possible. But again, that's a very small subset of Mac users that are going to be able to take advantage of this. Yeah, I mean, unless you are that guy who's so lazy that you don't need this feature, but you're hitting your watch, that you're now just going to call (laughs) out things. But I I would think it's a heck of a lot more effort to, to do it. But it's awesome that they went through all that effort to put this in for people that need this and opens up all these new avenues to people that can take advantage of this and do anything and everything on their Mac just using their voice, which is absolutely crazy. It really is, seeing it in action. And honestly, I wanted to talk more about Mac OS Catalina, but it doesn't warn itself to do that. I mean, they have the new Find My technology. The Find My app is right on your Mac, and you use that new Bluetooth net that they have for your last location that your device is pinged to potentially find your phone or your watch or your iPad or your Mac, but I mean, that's yeah, already on this, your phone. <laughs> and there's also the, the sign in with Apple, which looks neat. I just, I already have accounts with a lot of things, I guess. Maybe if I think about it, I'll try it and use it for things where I don't want to give out my information if I'm signing up for a new account with something. But uh, at this point, I'm so locked into like one password and all my passwords are saved and all that that it would only be really for like new items and I'd I think I'd probably have to be in Safari to to take advantage of it, which I don't tend to use Safari for much. Uh so I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of on the fence with that one. I thought it looked like a really cool feature when they announced it, but I just I don't know how often I'll use it. Yeah. I mean they've also improved the photos app, but you can't it's still kind of not that big of a change, honestly. And that's kind of the whole idea of the system. Like, it looks slightly cleaner. They rearrange things, but it's still not maybe at the level that competitors like Google Photos has been doing what Apple's trying to do for years now. And I don't know. It just, it's so, I can't tell that I updated my device. Like, I thought I couldn't tell with iOS 13 and the new iPhone 11 Pro Max, whatever stupid name it has, but at least it's in dark mode. Apple put dark mode on the Mac last year, so now I can't even tell that Catalina <laughs> is different other than the background is a view of Catalina Island versus the Mojave Desert. That's pretty much all I've been able to notice so far. Yeah, it seems like this this year it was more about let's get all of the stock apps in sync with what we have on iOS, and so everything's kind of one for one, and they line up, 
and we're really not going to do much else for the OS other than really kind of trying to unify that feel across all the devices. And otherwise, it doesn't feel like it changed at all. And that goes back to the question, do you want iPhone apps on your Mac or do you want powerful utilities on your Mac? I mean, Steve Jobs has the classic analogy that Macs will always be around like trucks are around. It's your heavy duty vehicle, you know, rather than you don't really need it unless you're working on specific projects. You can use a sedan for most things. Your phone and your iPad, you can do for most things. When you go over to your Mac, it's going to be the heavy duty, heavy listing ideas. And so do you really want the iPhone version of notes or reminders to do your heavy lifting available on your Mac? It's weird. Yeah, I I mean, the only thing I like is how well everything syncs across. So like all my stuff's in the cloud. I can load it up. It's familiar. If I'm editing things like the reminders, I couldn't even once I updated reminders on my devices, I can only even access my reminders on the Mac until I now finally uh, updated this so that it was the same version of reminders. So it has its downsides, too, if you don't upgrade and you upgrade one device and not the others, uh, because now it's in a state where they can't sync across. So in some ways, I'm glad that they're kind of keeping things together uh, and not just kind of forgetting about one and not the other. So in certain things, I don't mind not having the heavy lifting, the the real forceful app, but I don't think it's going to work for everything. I think there's a place for each of them, and you're not going to ever be able to do all the same things on like an iPad or an, especially not an iPhone with a smaller screen at, that you can do on a desktop or a MacBook. So I think it's always going to be some divide depending on what the use case is, but it is kind of nice in certain situations where you're not missing anything to to have those that syncing between the two. The syncing is nice, but make notes more powerful on the Mac. I don't need the same watered down iPhone version of notes. I have I copy Evernote or something, copy, buy a big, huge company that makes a note app and make a really deluxe offering on the iPad. It still resembles the same look and feel. It still syncs all your notes, but let me do more. That's just a basic example. Yeah, I just use one Apple across both. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. But that's macOS Catalina. And probably the biggest takeaway for me is that Apple Arcade's on the Mac. And so that transitions over to our Apple Arcade Spotlight of the Week. And it's worth noting that these games incorporate iCloud savings. So say you started playing these games on your iPhone and your iPad and you want to continue them over on your Mac. Well, iCloud saving will allow you to do that. Nice. And so this week we're going to start with Where Cards Fall, a story driven puzzle game comes from the makers of Snowman Games. They're best known for Alto's Adventure and Alto's Odyssey. And with this, it's really heavy on the narrative idea, really great 3D graphical design. But it turns out that the puzzle aspect may be the most compelling part as you simply pinch your fingers, either closed or open, to get this stack of cards and build it into a house. And as you go, you'll realize that you have bigger areas, so you can have a 4x4 or maybe you expand out to an 8x8 if you have room to make a big enough house. And then as you get these houses kind of built up, you then realize they're going to be able to create layers because you have one little playable character and you need to get them from point A to point B by making these little stacks of cards so that he can make it all the way through. And then there's going to be more complex stacks. And really the puzzle mechanics are quite engaging as you realize the different levels and decks and sizes 
that you can do with these cards and it's such an accessible manner. It's just that the game is all about narrative and really they don't have any voice work. There's no text at all. So it's all going to be conveying emotion through the little cutscenes they've created. But it seems like we've had many other games have no dialogue or voice work convey emotion much better than this one has. Yeah, so I didn't really know much about this going in. I just knew it looked really beautiful. But you're right. It's the puzzle mechanics that really drew me in. And having those, the ability where you just really fluidly can drag around these little decks of cards and you just flick them apart and then they'll fill the space where they can. And you have to figure out how to stack them or how to get maybe a deck of cards to another level up so they can give you another platform to step on to get to where you need to go. There, some of the, the little card houses, when you build them, they'll have ways you can walk up the side of them. Other ones, there'll be ladders on already built-in structures. So you really have to keep on looking and seeing and trying to figure out how you're going to manipulate these little stacks and get them close enough that you can jump between them or take one down and move it. And so there's a lot of strategy there. The narrative part really fell flat for me, too, because... It's all none of it's voiced. It's all kind of in this mumbled or I don't even know what language it is. It's I, I think it's just uh, goofy words. Yeah. And so then and then I don't I half the time I couldn't even tell what I'm supposed to gather from what's going on. It seemed like they were memories that were happening and it was in the past. But even then, I couldn't always tell what the scenario was or what was happening in the scene. It was just very like faded out and tough to even tell. I think other uh, story games have done it much, much better. Like you said, even without voices and like uh, love you to bits and and those. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. With with just this little artwork, there was so much emotion in that game. Here, I feel so disconnected from this character. I couldn't possibly care less about what's happening. I just want to move on to the next puzzle. I I don't. The story doesn't interest me in the least, and I feel like. it's so I don't even remember what I've seen. I remember there was something with an arcade. Other than that, I don't even remember what the point of the arcade was. But to me, the story just fell really flat. Yeah, that's what I, I've just kind of tried to focus on the story because the puzzle mechanic is outstanding. It's a great puzzle mechanic, great 3D design for you to interact with. The story I've tried to really dive into and analyze it, and it seems like it's a a guy looking back on his life and when he was a kid and seeing all the things that he could have done, the decisions that he made. He's a relative loner that then finds a girlfriend and they built that whole relationship. But again, that's me kind of maybe grasping at straws or trying <laughs> to draw the narrative out. I don't know if it's relatively clear. And again, the way that the story is introduced, you kind of tap or swipe, but it's not always obvious that you're proceeding through it. Like, There's the characters that turn to puffs of smoke as your memories kind of form and take shape. And it's just not always obvious what's going on or where we're leading it to. And again, I think I'm drawing maybe more just to be able to describe it than the game is really actually offering. Well, the other confusing part is, so what happens is when you finish one of the levels, you enter into like this new little room and that's where the story unfolds. You can kind of walk around the room. But there's nothing to interact with, as far as I could tell. And then the story plays, and then you can still walk around the room, but it's not like you can actually do anything. And 
I don't even know why they don't just automatically exit you out of the room, why they let you sit there or move around it, because it's not like you can do anything in there. So, unless I'm missing something, which I don't think I am. I, I just I guess wish I would have missed it too. <laughs> I, I, I wish they would just move you to the next level. I, there seems like it's no point of you sitting in this room forcing you to walk back out of it. You might as well just bring me to the next level. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, you have games like you said, Love You to Bits or Bring You Home, Monument Valley, Photographs, Machinarium. They all are able to convey emotion and story without any dialogue or voice work throughout the entirety. And this game goes for that, but it just seems to stumble on the execution. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm just heartless. <laughs> I don't I don't get it. I don't know. I'm hoping someone finds. I just wish they would have made it more to convey emotion. I mean, it's not necessarily that difficult. You've seen, like I said, a bunch of examples of doing it where you can convey it without any of that extras. But this game is like, here's random little bits, and we hope you figure it out and can piece it together. Yeah, yeah. But again, the the gameplay is where it's at. Really well done puzzle mechanics, really great design. There is a few instances where I'm trying to pinch and he taps to walk or he's not completely cleared the stack and I'm trying to interact with it. But that that's about it for the UI. Yeah, yeah, I did run into a few of those situations and it's not immediately clear when you can uh, enlarge a stack when another stack is on top of it and or not. And so it, there's a little things where you kind of stumble to figure out as you go, but there are times where even just the motions that you know should work don't quite work the way they should, but it's it's not a big deal. You can just pinch and try again, and usually within the second or third time, it, it works the way it should. So that's where cards fall. If you like any kind of puzzle games that's really has it nailed down, I just wish they would have developed the story more so that you actually care about what's going on. Right, especially where they seem to be folk in making that a big feature of it. Well, the I description just, is like yeah. narrative-led adventure. You'd think that you would then focus on the narrative, since that's the wor- first word in your description. Right, oh, and then the second bullet is a captivating coming-of-age story told without dialogue. I don't feel like they're telling me the story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I think I'm grasping at straws to try to convey the story to our listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... It's available on Apple Arcade. Free trial. Be sure to sign up. If you have the free trial since it signed up, hopefully you're getting some games in because I guess time's ticking out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, there's a lot to try. So, yep. And reminder, it's only $5 a month. If you get it for 12 months, that's $60 for the whole month. And we, I mean, it's going to be easy to talk about four games a week because they just added four new games that we're not even going to cover till next week. And I'm sure new games are going to keep being added. So we're still in the backlog of the original set. Yeah. As we're coming up to, to uh, Black Friday, you can get an iTunes gift card for a discount and that it'll charge that that card for a discount. So a it'll cost you even less than five dollars a month. Yeah, that's a really good idea. And so next up is Overland, which is a turn-based strategy game. We have yet to spotlight a strategy game. And with this one, it's the whole survival adventure idea, post-apocalyptic world where you have alien creature monster type of things that have invaded the land and you need to do your best to survive. So you have to go get gas to fill up your car, try to meet new survivors and get various resources, whether it's 
things to attack the monsters with, medkits, all that kind of good stuff. And you go from region to region, and then you also have the choices of which region am I going to go to. And so the further, the longer you last, you can then choose between are we starting in a forest area or more of a city area. And then in the map itself, say you completed day one morning. Well, next it's day one afternoon and you get to choose. Do we want to go up to where more gas might be? Or do we want to go over here where a survivor might be stranded? And you make these choices every single time because you go morning, afternoon, night. And then each time it's different because if you're night, you can't really see out in front of you versus afternoon or morning. So that also changes it. And then you're going to have trade ideas. If you've ever played any of these type of games, I mean, Death Road to Canada comes to mind, but any of these type of survival adventure experiences, you'll be right at home in Overland. And it seems to just take it up a notch just because it makes you really care. At least I was invested in every single move that I made because there's such impending doom. Those monsters are on you quick, and you have multiple characters to deal with, and then you even get to get dogs, and you definitely want to make sure the dog lives. Having the dog die is a horrible feeling, so <laughs> you're for sure caring about the dog, and you like keep him in the car so that way, okay, my lead guy died, but the dog is okay. I'm just going to leave this area, and so you always have that idea, and then you always have the impending doom of your gas in your car. You only have can fill it up to 10. If you run out of gas, you're on foot. You're, you're going to die real quick. And so you always have to care about getting gas, but then you have to risk. I have to walk all the way across this area where there's two monsters to go check this dumpster where there might be gas. And like I said, it's just really engaging because every single turn, you have to be cognizant of what you're going to do and the ramifications of that. Now, can the dog drive the car? I I don't know that I I haven't been able to get... He can jump into the car, and he might even be able to turn the car on, but I don't know if he can drive the car. Okay, yeah, I have not tried that. (laughs) But, yeah, no, the tension is there from minute one. So this is one of the games that I saw at PAX East this year, and I played it on a console, I believe. Yeah, it was on a console. And I loved it. And the, 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 the... Because everything is randomized every single time through, you're you're kind of at the the luck of the draw when it comes to not only what characters you get right from the get-go, but also the layouts of each of these levels, the layout of the map, how much gas is in there, what kind of weapons and things you have available to you. So you, like a game of solitaire, you could be facing a losing hand right from the start. And it, it's so it's just the nature of the beast if you want to randomize everything. So it is going to be tough no matter what. So even if you make it through that first level, I go every single time. I try to go with the furthest I can, because if you die, you're going to die and it doesn't really matter. So you might as well try to push out as far west as you can with each time you're driving or each time you're moving on, because it is all random what could be there. It doesn't really matter if you stop early or stop late. To me, it just seems like you're best off pushing as far as you can. And even then, you're going to struggle because those monsters are insanely hard. If you don't have something to protect yourself or attack them, even then, you don't really want to even attack them. It seems like your best goal in any of these is to get, say you're running out of gas, get the gas, get in the car, get out of there and avoid, avoid, avoid conflict if you can. Pick up other people who might be able to help you or at least be sacrificial lambs that you can dump off so you can get out of there and not because once you lose everyone in your party, 
then uh, then you're out. Then you lose. It's game over, and you got to start over again. So the more people you can kind of pick up uh, to help you out, just even as as bodies, then the better. But I am really enjoying this, and it, it just it's like you said. You have to contemplate every single move you make because there's so much going on and so much that's after you and against you that the wrong move, and sometimes you don't even know what the wrong move is until you've made it, that's when uh, you're going to die. And also, it's just part of it, you want to kind of take the creatures on, but when you kill them, a new one spawns. Sometimes two spawn. They dig up from the ground below, and they're in all new spots that potentially put your guys in danger. But there is something rewarding about running over one of the guys when they're standing on the road (laughs) with the monsters. The problem is that your car can only run over, I think, three of these monsters before it blows up. And so that definitely doesn't bode well. But (laughs) it's just there's so many different things to contemplate as you're going. And you just end up caring. I'm surprised how much you do care about the survival of these characters. And that even though there's so many things to do, it's easy to interact with everything. You just tap essentially where you want to go, tap with what you want to interact with, tap on the character that you want to control for this given area and sequence of your turn. And so you just get to really focus on the challenge at hand. And it seems like as soon as I die, I'm like, okay, I need to go in again and change the stupid decisions I made and try to get this crew along further and see more of what this game has to offer. Yeah, so the only problem I had with the interface itself was the confirmation of what you wanted to do. So you say there was an action you wanted to do. You maybe dragged and then you had to tap and hold it seemed like on the action in order for it to register that that's what you wanted to do if you just tapped it sometimes it would unselect everything you did and then you'd have to redo it again and then uh do it i did like the undo option to undo certain parts of the thing if you wanted to change your mind you could undo certain things but just that second step where you had to almost hold your finger on the button for to register it it's some it just seemed a little weird to me and i don't know if that's like a carryover from uh some other uh platform that it's on or if it's just some weird issue that there it's going to be fixed in an update i don't know it just kind of took me out of it and kind of i always had to be very conscious about hitting the button in a certain way in order to to register yeah, I'm not saying that the UI was great. I'm just saying that it was easy as it was accessible. There was times where I would try to, I was like, okay, I'm just going to go here with this person, but it defaulted to the dog. And I was like, well, I didn't want to move the dog. And now I have to undo my turn because it's not always clear which character you're using right off the bat when you start a turn, like especially when all three of your people are in the car. And you're just, okay, I'm getting out. Let's go. And it's like the dog jumps out. No, I didn't want the dog to jump out. <laughs> but it defaulted to the dog, even though he's the third member of my party. And there was just, the it, the undo button definitely helps. But yeah, it's a little tedious to kind of cycle through your characters and then cycle through which option you do want to confirm, like you said. Yeah, so I did notice, I had the exact same problem with this, moving the wrong party member as well. Until I noticed that over on that bottom left-hand corner, you really had to look to see which person was not kind of grayed out, and then you knew which character was active. But even then, like, depending on the color of their clothing and what was behind them, it still wasn't always... Yeah, I had a dog that was black, and the environment was black. He blended in like he was invisible. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, even then, it's still not always clear. I mean, they put the name there, but if you don't know what the name of, like, especially if you have my like, dog was two named humans. Jerry with a oh, G, what? and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there, you're gonna have trouble. Yes. So yeah, I mean, there's little things here and there, but overall, I'm I'm really enjoying it. I enjoyed it when I saw it at Pax East, and I was this was one I was really looking forward to playing more because I only got a quick little demo time with it because it was a line and so uh I, i'm i've been enjoying this this one i keep on going back to because it's that type of game where you think oh maybe next time i'll make it further or maybe if i make better decisions but yes it's randomly generated so your better decisions may not be better for that environment it's going to be different every time so it's not like you get to retry and retry until you get it right you're always going to be trying something new so uh but what you learn in the past can kind of help you in the future. Yeah, my only problem is that I find myself playing Jenny LeClue and Over the Alps just because I'm <laughs> getting to the story points where stuff is happening. But this game, every time I open it up, I enjoy it. Every single time. I'm like, oh yeah, this game is really well done, really intriguing to get through all the decisions you could potentially make. Really great job at a strategy game. One of the best strategy games available on iOS. Yeah, yeah, I love the art style too. It's that that great like vectory kind of isometric view, and those creatures, even though they're like just these cartoony things, they are creepy, and I don't want them near me. And they really creep you out, especially if you have headphones on and you hear like the little weird buggy sounds. It just creeps you out as they get closer and closer to you. Yeah, they're kind of like the creatures from Last of Us. I know those are just spores yeah. that grow yeah. out of people, but it still has a similar vibe going on yeah and so then there's assemble with care and this game comes from us two games they made monument valley monument valley 2 that's what they're best known for and with this it's an interesting kind of 3d object manipulation puzzle game that does focus on story so like i said we talked about jenny leclue and over the alps and both those are text heavy and there's no voice work assemble with care is light on text but there's voice work for everything. So it makes it into this flourished narrative to build on the idea that you're a repair person and you are walking through the city and you're passing out flyers if anybody needs help and you start interacting and building out these different characters that you meet. And it's all really a different... It's not really a game as much as it's just kind of this interactive app experience where you need to repair a camera. So you get the screwdriver and you unscrew the back and the top and then you disassemble that and you need to replace the mirror in it so it creates the right reflection. You got to put in the film canister and it's just, you know, a series of of actions where you're doing the little unscrewing, you're disassembling things, you're switching parts out and then you're putting it all back together. And every single one of the puzzles are based on that idea like there's nothing that's going to particularly challenge you you're not like oh what do i even do where did this piece go here it's all relatively straightforward but it's a great 3d interactive design that you actually feel as close as you can to manipulating it through using a 2d touch-based surface yeah i mean i love tinkering with things and i'm like especially with kid toys you're always unscrewing them replacing the batteries screwing them back together and so it's just a fun way to drive the narrative forward because you feel like you are that main character for a few minutes as you just interact and tinker with these things and repair them for the client and then 
that that piece, that camera, that tape recorder, they're a part of the story that helps drive the narrative, tie everything together, and then you move on to the next person or next item that you have to help with. So it's just a fun way to tell a story and get the the reader or listener, depending on how you view it, uh, involved in the story as the character to kind of get in their mindset and just, it's, I don't know, it, I found this really charming and endearing, and it's a short, a short playthrough, but it was just really memorable and fun to go through because you feel like part of it, and you're not just viewing things, you kind of get that little hands-on element of it, and it's not just like reading a book or reading a story, a short story. Uh, so it was just a fun multimedia experience. It's such a simply different experience for iOS. Like Zenbound was a game that I always tied to. I always really enjoyed when it was way like way back in the early days of the App Store to grab a 3D piece of wood like a hummingbird and you get a rope and you have to wrap the rope around the piece of wood so that way it paints it. The there's a little paint that extends from the rope. And it was just really neat to be able to interact with that 3D object and this game takes it to a whole new level. It's kind of like a few elements of the room where you need to pull the drawers out and then lift a flap in the room. It's like kind of that tactile-based touch experience where you really feel like you're kind of interacting and, like I said, disassembling the camera and putting it back together or the little watch and putting all the gears together. And so it's not going to be a challenging experience. It's just a really engaging, neat, interactive experience. And then the story itself is presented extremely well where it's a scrolling version it's kind of the update to ibooks where you scroll through the story vertically and every single page has big blocked text and it's all completely read out by the different voice actors in the game and then you scroll to the next page and then it's all read out it's a really smooth unveiling of the story as well yeah and even beyond just the reading there's like musical elements and other sound effects in the background to really set the scene for each of these uh, little tales that are being told and to kind of set the environment around you. Uh, all, after I finished this thing, I was just left with like, I wish they do, I hope they do a sequel, or even not, even if it's not like a, a exact sequel, like the same character, but more stories where they do this, where you have these little elements where you're manipulating ob- 3D objects. Just, it was just such an enjoyable experience that it left me wanting more, but then again, I felt satisfied that the story had a start, a middle, and an end, and felt like a complete story that was told, and an emotional story. And uh, I just, I hope there's more of these, these uh, same type of games coming in the future. It's worth noting there's only 13 little chapters or 13 different items to repair accompanied with story, and it's kind of like Monument Valley where it goes by really quick. Part of that is that you're engaged to want to go from one to one, but also it's not as long as some of the other games you could play. Yeah, I wonder if they did all of the voice work, like spent the time to do all the voice work, not only to make it better, but just to kind of set the pace that you should go through it, because otherwise you'd probably have people just plowing through that text so quickly and then just doing the quick manipulations, moving to the next one. At least this sets a a good pace to go through you're still going to go through it in like an hour maybe i'm trying to remember how long it took me it didn't take that long maybe an hour to an hour and a half 
something like that. It was relatively quick, but it, like it's it was something I just couldn't put couldn't put down. Like I started it and I wanted to go to the next and the next. I like ooh, what am I going to to tinker with next? And then and then you get drawn into the story and it just goes by so fast. Yep. So that's a symbol with care. It's available on Apple Arcade. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can play it on your Mac now. It's crazy. Yeah. And then to round out our Apple Arcade Spotlight of the Week, we have Speed Demons. It comes from Radiant Games, who are well known for kind of neon-based retro-inspired shooters like Inferno and Fireball and Super Crossfire and those type of games. More recently, they've done more puzzle ideas that like Slidris and various versions of that type of idea. And so with Speed Demons, it's something they really haven't done before. It's a top-based racing game where it's kind of like uh, Smash Cops or Reckless Getaway, those kind of ideas where that's one particular mode where you're trying to get away from the cops. But then there's also the pure race game. There's the race game where you start at the back and you have to make it all the way to the front, like Horizon Chase. And it's just each subset of chapters has five different game modes to play. So there's a bunch of variety. And you play completely different when you're trying to race to first place versus trying to avoid the cops. It's a different style, but it's still based on that same. You have a top-down view. You tap your finger on screen and you hold it and you drag around to steer your car through traffic and away from opponents. And there's great, like when they call it speed demons, there's a great sense of speed as your car is whizzing along these roadways. And there's a great physics engine once you do start interacting with cars or opponents are interacting with cars. It's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And there's even that rating games flare of the neon sparks as everything starts colliding. Yeah, yeah, the neon sparks. If any company had like their like one noticeable like thing, yeah, yeah, like a trademark thing, it's those those sparks. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw it. I'm like, oh yeah, it's definitely a rating game. And so when I first started playing this, I was Smash Cops was the one that came into mind immediately because I loved that game. I've hated everything else that Hutch has done since then, <laughs> but I love that game and. So when I first saw this and the cars were so tiny, I'm like, oh, this is going to be difficult. Just everything's so small on the screen. But then you see just because everything's smaller on the screen, you can create this great like weaving aspect to it where and it, everything just flows so nicely, just fluid motion as you're weaving through cars and you can kind of because everything they can fit so much on the screen at once you can really kind of plan out your path especially if there's uh, in the modes where you have to take down other uh, of those uh the other enemy cars or they're just trying to figure out how you're going to weave through the traffic so you don't hit something that slows you down so you can hit the checkpoints and make it uh into first place or hit the checkpoints to continue on and so it really works well by having that kind of panned out view like almost like a helicopter riding over the traffic and telling you what's going on kind of view it works so well uh for the gameplay and and just the motion and the speed of everything that it allows them to to really keep things fluid and i was really impressed i i i, I like i said i was a little I, I didn't know what to think when I first saw it. And then as soon as you start playing it, you get pulled in 
and just with each different mode it plays differently even though it is really looks a lot the same most of the time it feels different because now your motivations are different for each of these races and it's just a really fun quick playing game there's just so much variety it seems like each one is going to take a minute, minute and a half, but it's completely different. If you're going after checkpoints, you need to dodge all the traffic you possibly can. And then there's the reckless mode or whatever they call it. And your goal is to smash as much as you possibly can. And you're in point smash things. So you have to change your mind completely. Like there's times where I'll start it up and I'll smash into like the first two cars. And I'm like, oh, oh, the cops are chasing me. I need to actually get as far away as I possibly can. Yeah, and I've done that too. <laughs> there's just so much to do. It's amazing how many different modes they came up with through these different courses and chapters, all built on the same mechanic, but played completely different. It's just really great. It's probably the best racing game available in Apple Arcade. It's not saying much when you'd beat Sonic <laughs> Racing. It's way better than stupid Mario Kart Racing, whatever they called it. And so you have that going for you. And just really, if you like any kind of action-based games, you know, the... Hex, super hexagon type of games or boost or any of those type of ideas where it's just fast paced reacting to things you'll like this and this kind of then makes it more accessible to a general audience than that super hardcore idea just because you're constantly weaving through things there's more of a fluid nature it's not just that hyper twitch based it's more flowing and maneuvering so you have kind of a melding of the two together yeah, the thing that really impressed me, which actually impressed me with a lot of Radiant Games as titles, is how many different moving objects are on the screen at once, and it never seems to bog down or slow down. It just works, and it, it just always impressed me each time. And I think this one, there's times where you have like almost a hundred things on screen, and it just nothing seems like it's not moving correctly. It's all flowing, moving, weaving. And you're weaving your finger through all this stuff and just maybe just barely squeaking between a couple of cars. Nothing slows down. And I'm just I'm always impressed by what they're able to pull out of out of these devices and just not have them start to bog down. Yep. And so that's Speed Demons. If you're a fan of any type of action, racing, cars, speed, fun, any of that, any of those features at all, <laughs> you'll definitely like Speed Demons. It's available on Apple Arcade. It's universal across your iPhone, your iPad, and your Mac, and your Apple TV. Yes, and I guess it's and it supports an MFI controller, so yeah, on your Apple TV, use that. Yep, and that's our Apple Arcade Spotlight of the Week. We'll have more games to talk about next week because we have such a backlog to go through, and I think that's <laughs> everything for episode 119. That's all I've got. To everyone listening, be sure to follow us on Twitter at AppAdvice and at AppAddictNet for updates throughout the week. We hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.